First, Second Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy, chapter one this morning. Second Timothy one. We're going to take a break this morning from our study of the book of Matthew and look at several passages, three in particular, but start together in Second Timothy one. This is a letter written to one of Paul's closest associates, Timothy. Timothy as you probably know, began traveling with the Apostle Paul near the beginning of Paul's second missionary expedition. As a young man, perhaps even a teenager, he left his hometown in what is today the country of Turkey to travel with Paul and his companions full-time. Timothy had been converted to the Christian faith on Paul's first trip through his town of Lystra. Um, And now God has raised up Timothy to work with the Apostle Paul and really to continue the work that Paul had begun, especially in the cities of Berea and Thessalonica and, of course, most especially in the city of Ephesus where Paul would leave him for a number of uh, years to minister to the church there in Ephesus. So in this passage, we read about the early life of Timothy before we know too much about him and his journeys with the apostle. We do read about the young life of this man who would figure so greatly into church history. And you'll notice that what figures so prominently in Timothy's early life is the example of his grandma Lois and his mother, whose name is Eunice. And so let's read together the first five verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What a grand thing to have a mother and a grandmother like that. What a heritage this young man had. You know, it's possible that mothers have, in many cases, more impact on the next generation of the church than just about anything else. Certainly, they spend more time with the children than the preacher in the pulpit or the teacher in the children's class or even, in most cases, than the father who's working throughout the day. Mothers have an incredible opportunity to have an impact on the next generation for Christ. And this doesn't mean that you cannot be a godly woman if God chooses not to give you children. Because God is sovereign over all things. 
It was in his providence that you are married or are not, that you had children or did not. Some mothers are mothers because they've adopted children. And I can't think of any greater way to show the love of God than just surpassing eternal glory of salvation. The Bible describes our relationship with God. We saw it in the Sunday school hour this morning, right? In terms of adoption, that He has made us His own. Nothing speaks of the free, electing grace of God so powerfully as that. I thank God that we get a chance to, uh, to see that in our little church. Others never officially have children at all, but are like the lady that Paul referenced in Romans 16, who he called a mother to me, though she wasn't his earthly mother. God raises up ladies like that who just are willing to pour themselves out for someone else. Bless God for people like that, like missionary Amy Carmichael, who left her prospects of marriage and motherhood behind to go take the gospel to a faraway land and ended up being an ama, a mother to many, many throwaway orphans in the country of India. But I want you to notice four things this morning about Timothy's mother and, and his grandmother, especially his mother, just by way of encouraging us this morning in the glory of this calling. Notice firstly that Timothy's mom, and, and his grandmother for that matter, lived before him an example of genuine faith in God. Each of these women were characterized, according to the Apostle Paul, as having quote, unquote, sincere faith. You see that in the text? He said, I believe, Timothy, that your faith is sincere. And I, I think, I see that it was genuine for your mom and even for your grandmother. It was real, which implies, of course, that there is such a thing as a kind of false faith, a kind of... Uh, uh, a kind of acknowledgement of the truths of the gospel without a heart that's moved to Christ by the grace of God, without a real transformation of soul, without being born again. In fact, he's going to write to Timothy and warn him, in fact, about people whose quote-unquote faith was really not faith at all. Uh, so, for example, in chapter 1, verse 19, he talks about people who have shipwrecked their faith. In chapter 4, verse 1, he talks about those who, quote, depart from the faith. In chapter 5, verse 8, he talks about those who denied the faith. In chapter 6, verse 10, those who erred from the faith. In chapter 6, verse 12, those who swerved away from the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18, about faith that is overthrown. And in chapter 3, verse 8, about those who are reprobate concerning the faith. In these two letters to this man, he's warned him that there are plenty of people whose faith isn't genuine. But he looked at Timothy, he watched his life over a long enough period of time that Paul was certain that this man really knew the Lord. His life was truly transformed. There were manifestations of grace in his life. You know, true faith 
is not just formal religion. It's not just coming to church and going through the motions of, of church. There is, all through the Bible, a distinction between outward forms of religion, right, and a true inward communion with God through Jesus Christ. True faith is revealed. It's revealed by the way that we live. It's revealed by the choices that we make. And it's revealed by our actions. Remember that James said that Abraham's faith was justified. It was, it was manifested. It was vindicated by his actions. When God said, I want you to offer up your only son to me as a sacrifice, in spite of the trial, Abraham trusted God. He believed God, and he went forward to obey that command. So there are actions that will manifest our faith, and so often our faith is manifest in times of crisis, like it was for Abraham, in times when things are difficult, when there are either temptations that are very strong or trials that are very heavy, our faith if it's true, that's the time, that's the moment where it will be manifested. So, for example, what does your child see about your faith when your spouse is not what they ought to be? Do you talk about leaving the marriage or do you ground yourself in God's Word? It's in those times of crisis that what you really believe will be manifest. Or what about when your child is mistreated? Well, I tell you from years of experience, there's nothing that will get you in more trouble uh, or will cause more trouble than if a mama thinks her child is mistreated or daddy. But what happens when that does take place? Do we retaliate in kind? or to teach our children to be guided by the Word of God and help them to work through what they're facing. Or what about when we're facing some distressing illness? We complain, we get bitter against God, or do we find peace and joy in the Lord? What I'm saying is that as Paul watched Timothy over a long enough period of time, he saw him facing uh, situations like this, where his faith was tested and Timothy's responses and his actions manifest that his faith was true, that his hope was in God and God's Word, that his hope was in Christ and all that God was for him in Christ. This is what the way our faith is tested. And if you find yourself struggling in times of testing, the answer for you is not to say, I need to try harder not to fail the test. I need to try harder not to complain. No, the answer for you in every case is to run to Christ, to run to Christ and say, Lord, help me to know you more deeply. It's faith that is the root. It are, these decisions, these responses are the fruit. What we need more than anything is a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to manifest, to, to uh, strengthen our faith by communion with Him so that when our faith is tested, 
it will be manifest that it's true and genuine. And I don't think that there's any, there's any mom in here, there's any dad in here, there's any parent who is a perfect parent. Our kids don't need to see a parent, a grandparent, a friend who's perfect. What they need, which is a good thing, by the way, right? Because all of us would be in trouble. What they need to see is a mom who's honest and humble about her failures and then is amazed at the mercies of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy did not become a great man because he had a great mom. Timothy became a great man because he had a mom who pointed him to a great Christ. That's what your children need. They need to see in all of your weakness, in all of your failure, that your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your hope, you're, you're living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That, that, that the Lord is your hope. That Christ is your righteousness in the midst of your failures. And that His word is your guide in every aspect of life. In other words, they need to see that your faith is genuine. Oh, how I want those around me to see and to know that what I'm telling them is no made-up fairy tale, but it's true. Don't you? That's what you and I want for our children more than anything else, isn't it? That they would know that all of these things that we've been telling them for all of these years, that they are true. That we really deeply believe this. That our whole lives... Everything rests on whether or not that's true. If that's not true, then everything that our whole lives are built on that and everything's going to fall. We're banking on Christ and on Christ alone. That our faith is true and genuine. That's what our children need to see is a mom who believes that, a dad who believes that. You speak to your children about the gospel's impact on you, about how the gospel has become real for you? Does it ever come across to your children that what you really believe is true? Well, she lived before Timothy an example of godliness, of genuine faith. I don't know how. We're not told in all of the details about how Timothy saw that his mom really believed this stuff his grandmother, but somewhere along the line, somewhere, their faith was tested and he saw it. And uh, by the mercies of God and the gracious gift of God, it became true for him too. Not only did she live before him an example of genuine faith in God, she also reared him, secondly, in the Lord and for the Lord, even without the presence, without the influence of a godly father. That's one of the things that really makes these ladies stand out. Uh, I think you'll see it more clearly. Hold your finger here. Um, or Actually, we're going to come back to this book later. But uh, if you want, you can look at Acts 16 for this one. It's, um, it's page 4, 924 in the House Bible. You're using that. Acts 16, the first couple of verses. This gives you a little bit of the background of the family. Um uh, Acts 16.1, Paul came to... Sorry, I jumped ahead of you there. Find it. Acts 
It says that Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So the Bible doesn't say it explicitly, but it's generally accepted that this concession here about Timothy's father is an indication that he was probably not a converted man, not a believer, like it is said of his mother. Um, some scholars even think that this particular, the wording here indicates that maybe his father had even passed away by this point. Um, I, I'm, I might be talking here this morning to a woman who has an unbelieving husband, or perhaps the husband is dead, or divorced, or otherwise out of the picture. And there are certainly many times for all of you when, even if your husband is a believer, he's not the spiritual leader that he ought to be. He's, he's, he's failed, he's manifested that he, he's human. And I tell you, mothers, that you can have an impact on your children for the Lord no matter what. You be faithful. You be faithful to what God has given you to do. And the Scripture actually tells us the manner in which a wife, particularly one who's married to a non-believer, should go about this. You can just listen to the passage. I know some of you already know it well. First Peter chapter 3, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of the wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And no doubt, that's the spirit that Timothy's mom exhibited in her situation. I tell you, no matter what your situation, the Lord will be your help. If you will cast your care upon Him, He will care for you. The Bible says in Psalm 10, verse 14, You have been the helper of the fatherless, Lord. The Lord is merciful. Uh, one of the hymn writers that's written many of the hymns that's in our hymnal, his name is Charles Wesley. And with his brother John, they basically changed by the grace of God. They changed the spiritual landscape of the Church of England in the, in the 18th century. Um, it's almost legendary now, I guess, the significance uh, that their mother played in their lives. Susanna Wesley was her name. Uh, one biographer said, quote, although she never preached a sermon or published a book or founded a church, she is known as the mother of Methodism. Why? Because two of her sons, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, as children, consciously or unconsciously will, as children consciously or unconsciously will, they applied the example and the teachings and circumstances of their home life. Some people um, don't know that Susanna Wesley um, 
was more largely responsible for the spiritual training of her children than, than maybe you might expect. She was actually married to a pastor, Dr. Samuel Wesley. They married in 1688. Uh, but he was not very good with money and, um, and, and ended up uh, in jail a couple of times. And uh, one writer said that despite his love for her and commitment to Christ, Samuel was blind to his faults. At times he was tyrannical and a despot at home. And after one minor disagreement, he abandoned Susanna and their several children for an entire year. And so very difficult home situation but she remained faithful to a difficult man. She homeschooled their 10 children through all those years, their 10 children who survived. And uh, in spite of some inconsistencies in the home, especially on the part of Samuel, God used this faithful mother to raise up uh, a godly generation who have impacted the church of Jesus Christ broadly um, in, in really powerful ways. So, no matter what else is going on at home, Mom, God's given you a calling and a holy opportunity. You take it and you make the most out of it. You be faithful. And notice that there's a third thing revealed um, about uh, Timothy's mom, and that was that she was more concerned that Timothy would follow the Lord than she was that he would stay safe and stay close to home. And that was her spirit. Uh, I remember reading Augustine commenting about how this really struck him um, in reading about the relationship between Timothy and Paul and, and, and with, in the context of his family. Letting Timothy go with Paul was really a huge step of faith for his mom, for his grandmother, they knew all too well what happens to Paul and his companions. Remember the last time uh, that uh, he had come through their, their hometown, the city of Lystra, he'd been beaten and stoned and his body, bloody body, dragged through the streets and out of the town and left for dead by the side of the road. So they knew full well that trouble literally follows this guy from town to town. And now he's coming through. And he wants to take Timothy with him. You can just imagine in your little mama heart the struggles that you might have. Right? What will be the fate of my son? Will the Lord take care of him? How can I let him go? How can I let him go to that? But she entrusted herself and she entrusted her son to the God who is sovereign over all things. She believed that in life or in death, if God is glorified, then our victory is sure. She believed that, in the words of the Lord Jesus, if you lay down your life, if you lose your life, then you find it. She just held on, in other words, to the, to the promises of God, to the words of God, rather than holding on most tightly to her family. And really, that's what it's going to take for every one of us as a parent, dad or mom, to be the kind of parent that we, that we ought to be. It's going to take a willingness to hold more closely to Christ and to what Christ has said, even then we are holding on to those whom we love dear.
Some of you uh, have heard of John G. Payton. Our son is named after him, our, our youngest son named after Payton. He was a missionary from Scotland. Uh, as he grew up, he became really burdened for some islands way out in the South Pacific that that hardly anyone had ever heard of. There had been very little gospel outreach there. Uh, it was like a six-month trip from his hometown in Scotland by ship to get there. Uh, there were only a, a handful of other missionaries who had attempted to reach the islanders there, and they had some of them had been killed uh, by the people there. Um, the when Peyton talked publicly to his uh, to fellow believers about his desire to go to the they were called um, the New Hebrides Islands back then, now Vanuatu. And when he talked about his desire to go there, they said, you're crazy, you're going to get eaten. Those people are cannibals. Don't you understand what they've done to other missionaries that have gone there? What? Why are you going to waste your life? You're a, a gifted man. You could serve the Lord here. Look, there's so much need all around you. Look at this big city. Look at all the people dying here. Why would you go halfway across the world? Some said, if God wants to save those people, He'll save them no matter what. He doesn't need you. And, and so he listened to these kinds of, of arguments and, and angst he was about whether he should, he should go. And he felt that he should, but he wanted further confirmation from the Lord. And he went, as he often did to his dad, to his mom, his parents, and he told them of his burden. And here's what they said to him, quote, Heretofore we feared to bias you, but now we must tell you why we praise God for the decision to which you have been led. When you were given to us, your father and mother laid you upon the altar, their firstborn, to be consecrated as if God saw fit as a missionary of the cross. And it has been their constant prayer that you might be prepared, qualified, and led to this very decision, and we pray with all our heart that God will accept your offering, long spare you, and give you many souls from the heathen world for your hire. And so with that confirmation, that release to the providence of God, he left and went out and spent many, many, many fruitful years in the New Hebrides, and those islands were transformed. Many people coming into the kingdom of Christ, a work that really continues on to this very day, seated by a man whose mom was willing to give her family to Christ, to hold on to God's Word more tightly than she held on even to those she loved. So Timothy had quite a heritage. A mother who lived out her genuine faith in the Lord. And that faith, by the grace of God, was passed on to her son. A woman who reared him for the Lord in spite of not having a godly husband in the picture alongside of her. A woman who committed her children to Christ, even though that meant danger and separation for her son. And finally, here's a woman who taught her son, the Bible, the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, she taught him the Bible from 
the very moment he was born. Uh, turn back one last passage, 2 Timothy 3. So the same book we were in, but just a couple chapters later. It's page 996 in the House Bible. 996. 2 Timothy 3. Um, Paul's talking here about the persecutions and the difficulty. Of course, this is actually a letter to Timothy, of course. Um, and he's talking to Timothy about the persecutions and the difficulty that will come upon God's people and that false teachers will come and bring opposition to the work of the gospel and that many people are going to be deceived. But look at verse 14. But he says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have been firmly and, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He, Paul said, knew the Scriptures from childhood. That's a word that can even be used of the tiniest little, little babies, even from babies in the womb. Ever since, you know, uh, what, I, what I tell people is, I started going to church nine months before I was born, Right? How many of you, that was the case with you? Started going to church nine months before you were born. Probably quite a few of you, right? This is the way that it was with Timothy's mom. And, uh, and she was instructing him from his earliest, earliest days. In other words, the work of God in Timothy's life and through Timothy didn't start the day that Paul first came to his town and started to preach. The day that Paul said, hey, I want you to come with me on this missionary journey. Uh, the work of God in Timothy's heart, in Timothy's life, began long before that when his mother began to teach him the Holy Scriptures. It's very clear that, that Eunice and Lois began from the earliest days, which is a reminder to us that it's never too early to teach our children, very simply, the words of God. To encourage them to read it for themselves when they're able to read. To memorize the Word of God together. To catechize our children in the doctrines of the faith. To, to of course, bring them to the house of God where they can hear the Bible preach, but to give them the Word of God in every setting possible from the earliest days. Most of you know the name John Newton. Um, his father was a sea captain and um, kind of a moralist, but not a religious man at all. Um, but, but Newton's mother was a believer. And... Uh, she prayed for him. She taught him the Bible. She taught him to pray. She stored up in his mind Bible texts as a, as a little youngster. Um, she gave him biblical teaching. She dedicated him to God. And she even prayed, One day, Lord, make my little John a minister. But um, she passed away when he was seven years old. 
So can you imagine, all her ministry took place between the ages, between birth and seven. Seven short years she had with this boy. And, you know, after she passed away, his life uh, took a very different turn uh, with no encouragement spiritually from his dad. He, well, he just followed in his father's footsteps in so many ways, becoming fairly irreligious and went to sea like his father. Uh, took up with some very bad friends and lived a very outwardly pretty wicked life, just ignoring God for many, many years. It was not until he was in his 20s that the Lord put him in a circumstance that brought all of his mother's teaching, all of the the scripture that he had heard so regularly as a little child, all of those scriptures came again to his memory that those biblical categories and those biblical doctrines and the, the, the foundation that she had laid for those years served him to point his attention back to Christ in his moment of crisis. And he began again to take up the Word of God all of those years later, and was eventually converted. And uh, bears testimony to us today of the amazing grace of God, right? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He gave us an enduring legacy of hymnody and tireless work and the abolition of slavery and uh, had a widespread influence as a preacher of the gospel there are some of us in here whose testimony is like the Apostle Paul. You know, we were living 180 degrees away from God, and God just came and arrested us on the road and laid hold of us and snatched us uh, and, and just turned us 180 degrees around. And it was like night and day the difference. Once I was persecuting the church of Christ, and then the next day I was being baptized into the church of Christ, right? It was, uh, it was your, your conversion was like that. But I wonder if for how many of us that are like that, there are also just as many or more whose testimony is that we were like Timothy, who from a child were taught the Holy Scriptures that are able to make us wise unto salvation. This is one of the great ways that the Lord brings people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His Son is through the Word of God taught and given to these children ever since their earliest, earliest days. Charles Spurgeon remembered the words of his mom who, uh, who would sit down with her children and would talk to them about Christ. And he said in one place, he remembered specifically how his mother, in urging her children to put their hope and their trust in Christ, she said something along the line that, she, that the day may come when if they continued to resist the gospel, if they would turn away from Christ and live a, a life for themselves rather than putting their faith and hope in Christ, that one day she would have to bear swift witness against them on the day of judgment. And he said he remembered that ever since he was young and it just brought conviction to his heart. And he knew that his relationship with Jesus Christ was the most important thing in all the world. 
more important than even than his relationship with his mom or his relationship with his family. And he was going to have to stand before God and give an account. And that was one of the things that God used to awaken him. So, mom, dad, grandparent, you know, open the Word, right, with your kids. Open the Word. Find ways to give them the Scriptures. Sing hymns together. Read, memorize the Scripture together. Little children are better memorizers than you are. Have you ever noticed that? You ought to memorize the Bible with your kids. They'll outshine you every time, and it'll be great. It'll be a challenge for you. You know, and, 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 and how many of us you know, have seen some of our children perhaps go away, go off, and, and not live for Christ? But you know, there is that seed of the Word of God that's planted in their minds. And it may be that 20 years down the road that that seed finally begins to bear fruit. Put the Word of God in the minds and the hearts of your children. Find good Bible resources. Teach them to think biblically, to engage with the world around them from a biblical mindset. And maybe I can say just a quick word to those of you who who had a godly mom or grandma and, and maybe kind of family influence is why you're even here today. <laughs> maybe you're here just for mom or something. Um, and maybe you were one who heard the word when you were young and you've been going your own way. And I want to admonish you today to come back to the Lord Jesus Christ, to put your faith and your hope in Him, to confess your sin and your waywardness and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to begin a new life today. This is what she told you, what those scriptures The Word of God is true. And it's no accident that you're sitting in the service today. This is what the Lord has for you. And moms and dads, teach your children. Teach them the Word of Christ. Teach them God's Word. Don't just take them to church. Give them the Scriptures. Susanna Wesley, I mentioned earlier, would take a little bit of time in the morning. I think she tried to to have an hour if she could carve it out. Hard to imagine with, with... teaching 10 children all their, all their subjects, right? But she tried to carve out an hour in the mornings to just encourage her heart in the Lord, to read the Word, to pray. But she would also try to take some time each night and to talk to each of her children about the Lord, about their relationship with Christ, about the Word of God, how important that is. You know, we get a chance to leave our children a legacy a legacy that's far better than any money or any house. Not going to have to go through probate. We get a chance to leave our children God's Word in their minds. We get a chance to leave our children the memories of prayers that were prayed in blood earnestness before God. We get a chance to leave our children the heritage of seeing the Gospel lived out in human flesh as we live our lives according to faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the greatest gift that you could ever pass on to the next generation. So take up that work. Take it up well. Give your heart to it. And who knows how the Lord will use it. Would you pray with me?
Our Father, we are giving you thanks again for the word that we have heard and the example that we have seen. And we praise you for the grace of living in Christian homes, many of us. Thank you for that. And we thank you for the opportunity to influence children, grandchildren, others around us. Lord, forgive us for what lack of diligence that has characterized us and convict us and teach us, Lord, to be more in earnest and more diligent about this holy calling. In Jesus' name. Amen.